pre-trail fam. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dylan Bowman. Always glad to have you here. Today, we're joined by Ladia Albertson-Junkins, trail runner for Brooks Running from Snoqualmie, Washington. Ladia has been a strong athlete on the scene for a handful of years now. She's the two-time champion of the legendary Chuckanut 50K. And this coming weekend, she'll be taking the start line as one of the favorites at the hyper-competitive Canyons 100K in an attempt to earn a golden ticket back to the Western States 100. It's going to be incredible, entertaining race there on hollowed grounds outside of Auburn, California. And Ladia is going to be a big part of the action. I have to say, she and I didn't really know each other. We had never really spoken at length prior to this conversation, but... I hung up our Zoom call with an immense amount of admiration for her. I had always heard that Ladia is an amazing person through running circles here in the Northwest, and I just loved this episode so much. I don't even want to spoil it with a description here in the intro. I'd prefer to just let it play and let you all get inspired by Ladia's words and her attitude, but without exaggeration, I've been thinking about the things that she articulates here ever since we hung up our call. I hope it brings you all some value. Before we get to it, as usual, a big thank you to our presenting sponsor, Speedland. We're getting closer to the shipping date of the SLHSV, the second product to come out of this two-man footwear startup here in Portland. I'm also beating up a prototype pair of the next shoe in the pipeline now that I seriously think is gonna change the entire game, so watch out for this small but ascending super premium brand amazing products worthy of the most enormous shreds go visit them at runspeedland on instagram or visit runspeedland.com to stay abreast of all the news and product drops that are coming down the pipeline also if you missed it free trail just launched fantasy trail running ahead of Canyons 100K and Madeira Island Ultra, both happening this weekend. So go have some fun and play with us at fantasy.freetrail.com. You'll be able to pick five deep for both the men's and women's fields in both races. So go have some fun with your fellow trail fans. The winners are each gonna receive some free trail swag, some merch, and a rumple blanket. So there are some giveaways on the line. We have a lot of fun plans for how we're gonna scale this over time. So get in here at the earliest stages. So again, go to fantasy.freetrail.com. Get your picks in for this weekend's mega competitive events. Couple more announcements to make in the outro, but that's it for now. Hope you guys really enjoyed the show. Ladia, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, Dylan. I'm I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. This is really nice. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I, as I was just telling you, you know, we don't know each other. We we've never really like had a deep chat. This is our first opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it. But your reputation always precedes you. Everybody, especially our friends, our mutual friends in the Seattle area, just have nothing but positive things to say about you. So. I'm sure by the end of this conversation, we're going to be best friends. Besties, for sure. Yes. (laughs) Are you you in Seattle now? I know you're getting ready for uh, for canyons. uh, What are your travel plans? Yeah. So I live about 35 
miles east of Seattle um, on the Snoqualmie Tribe ancestral lands in the town of Snoqualmie. Um, and I fly down to California Thursday afternoon. All right. So coming up, I, I can't believe it's already here. <laughs> I know, I know. And it seems like you've been looking forward to it for quite some time. And of course, we're referring to the Canyons 100K and uh, your upcoming imminent competition there on hallowed grounds for the history of our sport. And uh, of course, you're also coming off an amazing victory at the Chucking Out 50K, your second win there. And we'll talk all about both of those things. But first, because we don't know each other, uh, I'd love to just do a little bit of background. Um, I don't know a ton about you, but uh, like I said, you know, everybody who knows you loves you. And not only as a as a person, but obviously you're well-respected as an athlete as well. So maybe give us a little personal and athletic background just to get the conversation started. Sure. Um, just to preface, I, I always kind of struggle with this question. It feels like such a big question and I'm <laughs> a chronic overthinker. So if I start to go down a tangent, please interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. It's meant to be big. That's kind of how I like to yeah. do it is toss sure. up the, the broad ones and then we can go granular. I love it. Um, so I was born and raised in Minnesota. I grew up in a town called Stillwater, which is just outside of the Twin Cities. and I was an active kid, just loved being outside. Um, I was really fortunate to have parents who exposed me to a lot of different outdoor activities like camping and canoeing and biking. And those were always family activities. And I did start to get into some team sports in you know elementary school and junior high. So things like soccer and basketball. And in hindsight, I'm pretty sure the only reason that I made any of these team sport teams was because I loved running and I was the one kid oftentimes who was willing to just run the whole game and, you know, didn't necessarily need a sub. That so was me too. To, that was yes. me too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have one of those on the team, right? Um, the hustle guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hustle guy. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so it wasn't until junior high that I ran my first cross country race and just immediately fell in love with it. I thought it was so much fun. And I think that's where I started to realize, oh, the reason I like these team sports in part, because I like being part of a team, but it's because I like to run. I actually would get really stressed out about balls and like having to dribble or having to try to <laughs> score points and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so just doing the running part was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where did that and lead? You ran collegiately, right? I did. Yeah. So I ran throughout high school and then I ran division one at the university of Minnesota in the twin cities. And I mean, I really just credit running with making me the person I am today. And I know that's really cliche. Um, and it's cliche cause it's true. I think so many of us feel that way. And I just feel so incredibly lucky and privileged that running came into my life and has stayed in my life. Isn't that beautiful? I think uh, everybody listening feels the same way. I know I certainly do. And I was absolutely the hustle guy on my various yeah. sports teams, but I didn't figure out that it was the running that was maybe like my unique 
skill on these team sports that I was a part of throughout my entire life until much later, until I sort of graduated out of the team sport environment. Okay. But, um, so did you make a go of it on sort of like the professional road and track scene after you graduated from Minnesota? So after I graduated from college, I was definitely pretty burnt out on the high intensity training and competition. So I did take a little bit of time away from any of that. I still ran casually. I was in grad school at the time and working full time. Um, and so running was really an outlet for me and, and something that I liked to do, but that I was not focusing much energy into. Um, but it didn't take very long for kind of that itch to come back. And it was actually more that I was running for fun and just enjoying it and realizing that my fitness was really coming along. And um, my, one of my best friends, Gabe Grunewald, was running professionally for Brooks at the time. And I was running with her a lot and doing workouts with her. Were you guys college was, teammates? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So oh, she yeah. ran at the oh, University yeah. of Minnesota also. Yeah. So okay. Gabe and I entered the University of Minnesota together. So we were freshmen at the same time. And... <clears throat> We were two of the eight freshmen that year um, coming onto the program. And unfortunately, that small group of eight, over half of them ended up getting injured eventually and leaving the team. And so <laughs> Gabe and I were two, two of the three that sort of persisted the full four years of eligibility. Um, yeah, we, we were fast friends on the yeah. team. And, and a friendship that continued long after college. Yeah. And yeah, one that has changed my life in many profound ways. Um, so she really encouraged me to try racing again after college. And so I did some local races and was just really surprising myself by the, the times that I was running. And at that time, Gabe was training with the um, professional group out of Minneapolis called the Minnesota distance team and, um, team USA, Minnesota, sorry. Um, and so she encouraged me to apply to be a part of that team. And I did, and I, I ran with that group for about 18 months. I was still working full time and that was unusual, um, to be a part of that group and kind of working a full schedule. And so it, it just, it didn't really feel like the way I wanted to be um, investing my time. It, it felt kind of like I was burning the candle at both ends to way too much of a degree. Yeah. And after about 18 months, I felt pretty burnt out again. Um, and also at that time, I was really falling in love with the mountains and with trails. And prior to that, I didn't, I don't think I really knew that you could run and race on trails. Like I had always run off road because I was a big cross country runner and I had worked at a couple camps, actually the Steens mountain running camp in Oregon. I worked there for two summers during college. My wife so, used to go to that camp too. Oh, yeah. really? That so did so like cool. David Laney. I know Max King has been an yep. instructor there for a while. So it's a legendary, legendary camp. sort of trail running camp for high schoolers. Absolutely. And even when I was working there, though, I it didn't click in my brain that there was this thing called trail running. It was all just running mm -hmm. for me. Um, but anyway, during the time that I was 
racing pretty competitively on the roads. I was gravitating more and more to the mountains and to the trails. And I would go to the mountains for the weekend and need to get my runs in. And so I'd try to just do my runs on the trails and just had so much fun with it and was really falling in love with it and decided that I wanted to focus more on doing more of that and that I didn't have a lot of interest in continuing to race on the roads, Mm -hmm. at least not primarily. It's interesting to me just from looking at your race results and stuff and Cause I think you came onto my radar when you won Chuck and for the first time back in 2017. But at that point you were like 10 years removed from your collegiate racing career. So there was sort of a lot of time between when you were competing at a really high level collegiately to when you were competing at a really high level, you know, as a trail athlete, what was the, what was happening in the meantime there? And actually I'm also curious cause I hear people who've raced at a high level, like division one track cross cross country that they get quite burnt out. You just sort of echoed the same sentiment. Why is that? And I guess, uh, yeah, fill in the gap in those, that sort of 10 year hiatus between high level competition. Yeah. I actually love that you point that out because I don't think I had ever really realized that. Um, but you're right. There was about a 10 year gap between my collegiate running and really deciding I wanted to compete on the trails, at least in the ultra distance. Cause I will say a, a big part of that gap actually was I was doing a lot of shorter trail races. Um, and that started when I was still living in Minnesota and there's some really awesome local trail race series there that I was doing fairly regularly. And then my then partner and now husband, eventually ended up moving out to Western Washington. And once we moved to Western Washington, I really saw going to races as a way to meet new people and hopefully make some new friends and people that had shared interests. So folks I could meet up with to go running. And, um, but at that time I was still doing, you know, like half, half marathon trail races, 25 Ks. So 2017 at Chuckanut was my first 50 K. Um, which you won in a crazy fast time. I mean, so, I mean, maybe we'll get to this in a little while, but I don't know. For me, it's sort of an interesting story of like you sort of race collegiately in the Midwest, make your way to (laughs) the Northwest, sort of, it sounds like chasing outdoor recreation and then finding this, you know, deep innate talent as a trail and ultra runner, was it kind of a, a light bulb thing for you? And was this sort of a pivotal moment in your guys's lives as a family sort of moving West? It really was. Um, I think it, it felt like a coming home of sorts because I just realized how much I enjoyed being on this mountainous terrain and running on this mountainous terrain. I was really lucky growing up in Minnesota to have family in Colorado And so at least once a year, we would typically get out to visit them and they live in the foothills and often we'd get into the mountains for some hiking. So I did have some exposure to that throughout my life and knew that I really enjoyed being in the mountains. But it wasn't until my mid-20s when it dawned on me that 
oh, I don't have to stay in Minnesota just because I was born here and have lived here for 25 years. I could maybe try living somewhere else that's closer to mountains and see what that's like and see if I like it. Um, so that's kind of the attitude that we had when we moved out to Western Washington. We also both, both my partner and I have siblings out here. And since then, his parents have moved out here. My mom has moved out here. So we also have family now really close by, which is wonderful. And I really was following a passion for the trails and for being in the mountains. And I think the racing just became an extension of that more than anything. Um, And again, it was a way to immerse myself in the community of trail running, especially being new to the area and wanting to find ways to meet other people who enjoy running in the mountains. And racing was really the way for me to connect. And and then it ended up also being so much fun. One thing kind of led to another. Did it sort of bring back the glory days of college of racing <laughs> high level cross country when you pin the bib on at Chuckanut at what is one of the most important, most competitive 50 K races in the country every year. This is your new home territory. Did it sort of give you a flashback to the days before your burnout and sort of 10 year hiatus? <laughs> like, did it bring back the, the love and the, and the passion for training and racing again? You know, the love and the passion were already there. And to be totally honest, trail running and mountain running in particular feels to me almost like an entirely different sport than track running in particular and road running and even cross country. So I think it was just this foundational love of running added to this newfound love of being in the woods and in the mountains And that combined just, I don't know, just the greatest feeling. So wonderful. Um, So no, I didn't get flashbacks really. And I think too, I have changed, I hope, a lot as a person since college um, in, in ways that particularly show themselves in my running. And so... How so? Your approach to competition? Um, yeah. Well, this is this is a good conversation. This is a big conversation. So let's I go. Say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get your coffee. I can just grab my water bottle. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> You're gonna need it. Um, and I think my story is a really common one. So I'm sure there are a lot of people that can relate. Um, I came into collegiate running very much a perfectionist, very much a people pleaser with my identity, very much tied to results and my self-worth tied to results. And I put a lot of pressure on myself and I sort of perceived a lot of external pressure as well. And that combination of things, despite my, I think, intrinsic love of running, all of those other forces almost made me not resentful is not the right word, but it it certainly took away a lot of the joy of running for me. Um, And I love this opportunity to talk about Gabe because 
like I mentioned earlier, she really has had a profound impact on me in a number of ways. And I would say one of the biggest ways that continues to impact me today is, you know, like I said, I came into college, a perfectionist, a people pleaser. And I thought I had to train perfectly and be perfect in order to have any chance at actually achieving the goals that I had set for myself, but also that I thought other people had for me. And then I met Gabe Grunwald and at the time, Gabe Anderson, and she showed me like a whole new way of being. And that was the way of just trying your best, trying your best and showing up every day, just as you are and being courageous in how you show up. And what I learned too, is that I think for me, my perfectionism was really I mean, it was a crutch in a lot of ways. It was this illusion of control, but it was also something to hide behind that I, that sort of uh, gave me permission not to be vulnerable, right? And if you're not vulnerable, you don't need courage. And so perfectionism really was a way to avoid learning how to be courageous. And Gay was the first person I met who showed me an alternative to all of that. Um, and then through our friendship and I think just getting to spend so much time with her and, and observe firsthand the way that she lived her life just changed me. And so over time, I'm now at a place with my running where like, I mean, it's taken a long time and hard work to really let go of perfectionism and this need for an illusion of control. Um, but I feel further away from that than ever in my life. And it's really wonderful. And it helps me feel really close to Gabe too, who passed away in 2019. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Philosophical. How do you, (laughs) how do you manage to let go? I mean, is this something that requires constant effort to sort of remind yourself of the gift that is running and to not be so hard on yourself or to attach so much of your identity to your competitive results? Like how how were you able to sort of come to this more enlightened attitude towards your running? Because there's, it's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially people at at your level. And, uh, you know, obviously now in sport across all different categories and across all different disciplines, the topic of mental health is like all over the news right now. And mm-hmm. we see people like Naomi Osaka, who, you know, is the best in the world as a tennis player, who's very openly talking about, you know, that pressure that she feels from the press, the media, her sponsors, the general public at large has been like crippling for her. Yeah. So I, I'm curious if there's anything that maybe you've, you've done or any uh, practices that you have that have helped you to sort of have this more mature approach? Well, I would say a big part of the process for me was hitting my own relative rock bottom. And that happened about midway through college for me. My stepdad died and my dad had died the 10 year, 10 years previously And it wasn't until my stepdad died that I realized I had never actually grieved the death of my dad 10 years prior. And not only that, but I had been 
suppressing that grief, avoiding that grief, trying to control that grief, which I do think is related to the perfectionism and the people pleasing. Yeah. And sport I is, around. is such yeah. a good way of suppressing grief, isn't it? Right. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, grief is cumulative and you can't escape it no matter how hard we try. And so it was that collision of like 10 years of suppressing grief with this new grief from my stepdad dying. I had no choice. I mean, I I hit my rock bottom, right. In the aftermath of that. And at that time, I still didn't know it was grief. I had a sense that maybe it was. And I remember actually trying to find books at the library about grief and like, is this what's happening to me? I don't know, because I felt like there was something wrong with me, right? Because my only coping tool for so long had been perfectionism, avoidance, uh, control. And so I, I really had to go through the depths and the darkness of that grief process um, to learn a lot of the things that I feel like now I, in some respects, could take for granted. I do try to stay very attentive to them um, still to this day because I think that's important. And, um, you know, we're all constant works in progress. So that process is never over. Um, But that was a big turning point for me. Mm. And I think, again, just having a friend like Gabe to show me another way of being and not just to show me, but she brought me along for the ride. And I had real opportunity throughout our friendship to put what she was showing me and teaching me into practice. And I was actually just talking to my partner about this the other day, something that I'm really proud of that I have reflected on recently is like, there are things that I've been able to do in the last couple of years that I know for a fact Ladia could not have done 10 years ago. And like athletic of, things or personal things or all of the above. Mm. I mean, for example, um, it was in 2019, the Brave Like Gabe 5K was around the end of May and Gabe ended up in the hospital with an infection the day before the race and wasn't going to be able to be at her flagship event, which she had basically single-handedly planned and organized. And she was going to orchestrate the whole thing. And she called me up that day and was like, I need you to give the speech at the kickoff and I need you to like be my MC." And I mean, that kind of stuff makes me really nervous. And the Ladia who was steeped in perfectionism, like could have never said yes to that because it would have needed to be perfect. And you can't achieve perfection, nor do you want to, because it's not, it's not even beautiful. Like it's just this illusion. So, so I recognize that like the fact that I could say, absolutely, yes, I will do that. No problem. Don't worry about it. And then write a speech on the flight to the race and give it like an hour later. Um, I don't know, like that to me just has shown me that's an example of like a real actual change. And then similarly, I gave the eulogy at Gabe's funeral and I don't 
think that is something I could have done 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, again, in a space where it would have needed to be perfect rather than my best. And rather than the, like the last 10 years of seeing someone else be vulnerable and courageous and inspire me to do the same. And that's something I'm capable now of doing that I don't know if I was capable. I think, I mean, we're always capable of it, right? But we just, I just wasn't doing it then. And I didn't know how to do it. And it took that rock bottom. And then many years of being more intentional about, like you asked earlier, I think, you know, how do you let go of that perfectionism? Or how did I let go of kind of that need for control? And I think at first it had to be really intentional and like constantly just telling myself, like, you're going to let go of this. And now it doesn't, it's just sort of a natural part of how I move through my day. And I, I'm not necessarily actively thinking about it, but it is, it is there. And I think about going into Chuck Nut this year, 2022, I don't even know what year it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm 15 months postpartum oh. and, you know, a lot of new parents can relate to just how unpredictable that postpartum time is, especially for women. And a challenge with ultra running is you have to sign up for these races so far in advance. And my, the most important thing to me postpartum has been to honor my body and my heart, like as it is in the moment and not rush anything, not force anything, but also give myself opportunities and give myself a chance to see what I, what I can do, see where I'm at and surprise myself. So I sign up for these things also knowing anything could happen and I'm going to just embrace where I'm at. And, you know, my kid was super sick for the 10 days before, I mean, the sickest he has been yet. And I didn't even know if I was going to be on the start line, but I had committed myself to Let's just see what happens when you just keep trying. Like all you have to do is try. You don't even have to try your best. Just try, just show up and try and be open to the possibilities that come from that. What do Um, you do for a living? I work in research. So I work for a research institute that's part of an embedded healthcare system. And I am a data analyst and reporting consultant. So I do all the data stuff. (laughs) I was just thinking, you should be a therapist, man. Oh, you have an incredible outlook, and it's a it's a joy to hear you talk about it. I think this is a good time to talk about your first go at Western States. Of course, this weekend you're going to be attempting to secure your second golden ticket to this race, yeah. and I think there's probably a lot of people who maybe forget that you ran the race before. <laughs> Um, so I wanted you to talk about your first running in 2019, where on paper, it obviously wasn't an amazing result, but I know the race was much more significant than just the competition of it. Um, so talk about your first experience at Western States and maybe what some of the uh, learnings were from that incredible yeah. day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking this question and also for recognizing that it was so much more to me than the, than the results. Um, so I had, I had been lucky enough to get a golden ticket at Bandera hundred K 
that January of 2019. And between January 2019 and Western States, June 2019, Gabe died on June 11th, 2019. So that was 18 days before Western States. And my priority that whole stretch was Gabe. Um, And I mean, she had been for a long time, um, but especially during that time, because it was very clear that her health was declining rapidly and options for experimental treatment were essentially non-existent anymore. She had basically exhausted all of the treatment options. And I also just want to say that, so she had a a rare cancer that's incurable. It's called adenoid cystic carcinoma. And it's so rare that there aren't any FDA approved treatments. Um, So even when she was first diagnosed, which was in 2009, there were no FDA approved treatments and it was all going to be like, we're going to have to be super reactive with this cancer. We're just going to have to surgically remove what we can, maybe do some radiation, but because there aren't any approved treatments, there's just not a lot of foundation for uh, for what your plan can be. Um, and so she had gotten to a point in the disease where the different experimental treatments she was trying were not having an intended effect on the actual disease. So she died in June. Um, her death was, how do I say this? I, I mean, Justin and I have talked about this and so I'll just say it the way that I've said it before, but the the way that she died is the greatest gift that I've ever had in my life. Um, she went into severe septic shock on June 1st and it was so severe that between the three doctors who were on, you know, were helping her, none of them in their collective, however many decades of experience had ever seen someone survive that severity of septic shock. And so when Justin had called me that day and I was still in Washington at the time, um, and I was heading to the airport to get on the next flight out, I I knew there was a very real possibility that she was not going to be alive by the time I got to Minneapolis. And that was the day when Justin had told Gabe, Gabe, you're dying. And Gabe yelled back, not today. And then promptly asked for a hamburger milkshake. (laughs) Um, And she didn't die that day. I mean, she made an extraordinary recovery from that particular spike in the septic shock. Um, So I got to Minneapolis like in the middle of the night, basically the next day. Um, And she was like, you know, I mean, doing relatively well for just having been through who knows what. Um, And so we got to have 10 more days with her um, up until she died on June 11th and being able to spend time with her in the hospital and surround her with our love and feel like she also, I think during that time came to her own place of peace and acceptance as much as one can. I mean, it really feels like 
she died on her own terms to the extent possible, which is also how she lived her life. She lived her life on her own terms to the extent possible. And I didn't get to see my dad before he died. And I, my stepdad's death was, he died from cancer, but his actual death was like pretty sudden and surprising. And so to be present for someone's death, um, just changed my life. So, and yeah, sorry, before we get to Western States, I'd love to hear, because I didn't know that story. I had no idea you were mm. sort of at the bedside for those 10 days. How mm-hmm. did that impact you? I mean, that probably has a deep, it probably changes you deeply in terms of your outlook on your own mortality and what's important in life mm. and all the most profound questions that human beings wrestle with and maybe helps you to see some how insignificant some of the things are that you stress about. Do you still feel the weight or the emotion? Do you still feel changed from those 10 days? And if so, in what way? I absolutely still feel changed from those 10 days. Yeah. And I think it changed me in ways I never could have anticipated. I think the questions you just asked actually would have also been what I would have assumed about the impact of being with someone as they're dying. And actually the experience I had was just an overwhelming sense of love and grace. I've never experienced love so palpable um, as being with her. And like an observation I had was just that the love that was there seemed far greater than all the people that were in the room. And that actually gave me a sense of peace about my dad and stepdad's death, that maybe they felt this same all-encompassing, overwhelming love whether I was there or not, because that is something that I have struggled with um, is not having been there when they were dying. Um, But it also gives me this sense that maybe the same is possible for me and for anyone who dies. And that's not to glamorize the dying process because there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of trauma that happens in that process as well. But I was totally struck by the love and the grace that was present. And it's almost indescribable. I mean, there were, and there, I also like that, you know, that's what I've carried with me since more than anything else. And again, not to like gloss over how hard it was because it was also, I was just going to say, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful description of what was, I'm sure a traumatic and grief filled experience. So it sort of has a spiritual undertone to it of just like, you know, how we going back to the earliest part of our conversation of just like how those hardest moments, those rock bottom moments often do have an element of just pure beauty in them, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And 
I, I also attribute a lot of that love and just feeling wrapped and held to the fact that so many people loved Gabe and she had brought so many people into her life and into her journey. And I have just the utmost gratitude for everyone out there who was sending their love and their thoughts and their messages, but also just thinking about her because what I want them to know is that it was felt like it was absolutely felt. And that was all I ever wanted for Gabe as her dear friend was like for her to feel as loved and supported as she was. And I truly believe that she got that. Um, So that was extraordinary. Um, So then 18 days later, or whatever it was, you were on the start mm-hmm. line of the Western States 100. I was. You finished in 26 hours, <laughs> which I'm sure, you know, obviously is well below your potential and maybe your expectations. I don't know. Talk about that juxtaposition of experiences and how Western States maybe helped you exercise some of the demons or helped you deal with some of the stuff that you'd just been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went into Western States really seeing it as my opportunity to have time with Gabe and my grief. Um, because as a lot of people know, anyone who's lost someone, there's a lot that happens right after someone dies. There's a lot of tasks and logistics and funeral planning. And um, so that time was really just a whirlwind and like I said, I, I had done the eulogy. And so I was, you know, really putting a lot of energy into that and, and wanting to make sure that Justin felt supported and that the family felt supported and that I could be helpful in any way possible. And similarly with like all of Gabe's closest girlfriends, you know, we were just doing a lot. And so I really didn't have time and space during those 18 days to really process everything that had happened. And it wasn't even just those 10 days being close to Gabe as she was dying. It was like the 10 years of being with her throughout her cancer journey. Um, And so I saw Western States as my chance to just have a hundred miles of time with my bestie and, process some of start to process some of what happened. And also I made a commitment to myself to just let whatever came, like, let it come, let it go, let it flow through me, just be present with whatever showed up and not fight it. But were you competing? I'm just, this is fascinating because like at your level on that stage, and it's second nature to you for somebody who's been an athlete for such a long time to want to compete, but you've just been through this wild thing. And also yeah. I'm sure, I mean, if you were competing, clearly things went wrong because you didn't make it to the track <laughs> for 26 hours. So exactly, if there was any moments of, I don't know, doubt as to whether or not you would make it or if, you know, you were carrying Gabe's spirit with you the whole time. Yeah. Well, to the competition piece of it, I think this is another example of the way I've changed in 10 years. Um, and part of that is I have somehow, by some miracle, 
to the extent possible, been able to disentangle my self-worth and my identity from results and competition. And so while I love it as like a way to connect with people and like bring out the best in other people and it's other people bringing out the best in me and hopefully we're collectively surprising ourselves and like getting this amazing experience that we wouldn't otherwise have. I'm also like really able to let my, the ego part of it go. And so like in that case, there, there were definitely times when like, I wanted to run with people. Like I ran with Caitlin Gerben for actually like quite a bit the first half, which was obviously not like the right choice for me physically (laughs) because Caitlin Gerben went on to place top 10 and she's a freaking superstar. Um, But like I was having a blast running with Caitlin and her and I are, are good buddies and we train a lot together. And so that was like old times. And also Caitlin has a really special connection with Gabe and just the most admiration and respect. So there were times when we were running together where we would both just proclaim, like, I can feel Gabe right now. And like, Mm. that was so beautiful to share that with her. Um, so I, so it's interesting because like, I don't, I don't recall like the competitive mindset ever turning on necessarily. Um, But I also have enough experience in those longer distances to know if that's more common, like, because also it's such a long race. Like you can't be an ultra competitive, at least I don't think I could be in that mindset the whole time anyway. So I don't know like where I was on the spectrum, but I was very much, like I said, just like, I am going to embrace whatever comes and I definitely had these moments of like overwhelming grief, you know, it's coming in waves and it's crashing down on me. And then I had these beautiful moments of like truly feeling Gabe's presence and her spirit. And I had a couple friends from Minnesota come out to be there and cheer me on. And again, there's just like this overwhelming love and grace. But the second half of the race, my body was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like you were not physically prepared enough for this yeah. um, for a lot of reasons that I'm totally fine with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I had more like, did you ever priority. question whether you would make it or was it? Um, I don't think I necessarily question. So I remember distinctly somewhere around 60 to 70 miles after things had already been going real south for a while. Like, I mean, I was vomiting up everything that I'd eat. I wasn't like fully conscious some of the time, you know what I'm, you know, how I know how it goes. Yeah. You know how it goes. Um, I do remember thinking if I can't make the cutoff, I'm going to find a way to still get to that finish line. Like even if they don't let me, I don't like, if I have to break some sort of law, to get there. Like yeah. I'm going to get, but I, but it definitely occurred to me that I might not make cutoffs. Yeah. Um, cause I, I mean, yeah, I was like barely moving for a very long time and hallucinating and all of that jazz. That's super fun. Well, you made it. I super, did. Super proud finish. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, it was a victory, like making it was my victory. And, um, and just uh, can I give a little tangent? I know Please, I've been yeah, like, go so, ahead. So, uh, uh, something that I remind myself of often is 
so Gabe was diagnosed with her rare and incurable cancer in 2009, and she got the call from her doctor the night before our season opening race in for outdoor track. And it was going to, and it was our senior year. So it was the start of her final year of track eligibility. She was fitter than she'd ever been. She was faster than she'd ever been. She was ready to finish her senior year with a bang, right? And then she gets this call that she's going to need to go into surgery the next week, which means her season is over. Um, she wasn't going to be able to recover in time to have any more racing that, that spring. So Gabe decided she was still going to race the next day. She went out there racing with, you know, this knowledge that she now has a, a rare and incurable cancer. And she ended up PRing, running super fast, um, went into surgery, had radiation that whole summer, um, worked really hard to get a medical waiver to, to basically have that season of eligibility back. And that was not an easy process. It took a long time, but she did eventually secure that medical waiver. And so she came back the next year and basically like 14 months after that diagnosis and surgery, she finished runner up in the NCAA in 1500 meters. And she hadn't even made it to outdoor nationals on the track prior to that. Wow. So, I mean, she just like took that adversity and it was, it was a springboard of sorts for her, um, which really set the tone for the rest of her, uh, the rest of those 10 years that she was living with cancer. But the thing that I want to highlight is in that NCAA championship, when she finished runner up, she came across the finish line, like arms up in that victory pose, you know, just like looking to the sky with the biggest smile on her face. And it strikes me that like, an onlooker who didn't know her story, didn't know the context might think, oh, she thought she won or, oh, she celebrated too early. And that's why she didn't win. When in reality, like finishing runner up 14 months after a a cancer diagnosis and surgery and a summer of radiation, like that was the victory. Wow. And, you know, that's like, it's not the same thing, but I, I parallel that to Western States in that, like, I know that my results on paper, people who expect a golden ticket winner to come in and be competitive and maybe like be, you know, thinking my goal was top 10. Um, like to me, getting to that finish line 26 hours later was the victory. And it really was. And it was like being there with Gabe and with my grief and just everything that I was able to sort of let go of in that process. Um, Yeah, that was, that was the victory for me. Beautiful. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. You guys have heard me talk about the Fuel 2.0 drink mix, which is my primary fuel source for long runs, workouts, and races. You've heard me talk about the BCAA drink mix, which I love and use every day. Well, today I want to tell you about the Gnarly Performance Greens. Gnarly Performance Greens is a powerhouse drink mix that packs a punch with vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that's easy to add to a glass of water or to your recovery smoothie. Gnarly co-founder Shannon O'Grady refers to it as a whole foods-based multivitamin, and that's exactly how I've been using it, a serving a day to keep my body feeling healthy, energized, 
and topped off with all the little nutrients that maybe I'm losing in training or not consuming adequately in my daily diet. The performance greens are my favorite thing to travel with, especially internationally. It's my way of staying on top of my immune system basically seven days a week and at a much more approachable price point than competitive products in the market. Check it out for yourself. Go visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Gonarly.com, FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. I've told you guys just how easy and frictionless it was to go get my Inside Tracker blood test, and now the results are in. And I've spoken to an Inside Tracker registered dietitian, shout out Molly Knudsen, and I am back to share the learnings with you. First, I learned that my white blood cell count is quite low, not alarmingly so, but enough for me to pay attention and do what I can to remedy the situation as I understand it. White blood cells are the body's first line of defense against infection, so a low count could indicate that my immune system is not as robust as I would like it to be which is not ideal as I ramp up training and start to think about traveling to races again. I want my immune system to be as fortified as possible. So here are the steps I'm taking. Number one, taking the gnarly performance greens, <laughs> but also doing everything I can to increase my vitamin C intake. Harmony has been making me fresh squeeze citrus juices every day. I've been having more vitamin A, things like carrots and kale, vitamin E from almonds and hazelnuts and a little mineral called selenium that I'm not sure I ever heard of before. Most commonly found in Brazil nuts. These things are all powerful antioxidants that can help fortify my immune system and hopefully bump up my white blood cell count over time. I'll share more about my personal findings in the weeks ahead, but you should go check, check in on yourself too. Get 20% off an Inside Tracker blood test by going to insidetracker.com forward slash free trail. Insidetracker.com forward slash free trail. Back to the show. So you have a son named Gabe now. Talk about how motherhood has changed your life and your approach to sport. Oof. Oh, yeah. Um, I could talk your ear off about that too, probably. <laughs> we got all day. Um, yeah. So Gabriel was born in December of 2020. So he's almost, I'm so bad at math. What is that? He's coming up on 18, 16, 16 17 months. months. 17 Thank months. you. <laughs> um, and uh, oh gosh, how has motherhood? I mean, I again, just carry with me so many of the ways Gabe has changed me. My friend Gabe has changed me and especially because she herself so badly wanted to be a mom. And that was something that she and I talked about since we became friends, basically, like that was something I always knew about her that she wanted to be a mom. And so I, I just, I remind myself of that all the time as further reason why I just need to embrace everything as it is, as it comes and appreciate this gift that I have of being able to be a mom. And, you know, it's, it's like what you were saying earlier about these really challenging moments can also have so much beauty. And I feel like that is a way to, if, if I have to summarize motherhood, like that 
is a big part of it is that there's a lot of challenge and alongside of that wrapped within that is a lot of beauty. Um, and I'll also say I now see firsthand like how far we still have to go in our society to make things better and more equal for women because um, it's a victory every time I'm able to be on a start line um, with how much is asked of women in in the role of motherhood um, mm-hmm. in particular and like how much of my energy goes into motherhood and how like we're expected to say, oh, and I'm so grateful for that. And I am, I truly am, but I shouldn't have to qualify that um, to make other people comfortable, right? Um, So it's it's. I'm curious about this because obviously there's a lot of great athletes out there who are mothers. Mm-hmm. But I imagine as female athletes, there are some things that you have to think about in your return to sport that, you know, someone like myself or the fathers on the circuit don't have to think about. Yeah. Had, mm-hmm. Have you sought advice from other mothers who've been through that? Or are there other learnings from your experience about returning to sport that may be helpful for female athletes who are listening? I mean, I think the biggest one is just honoring your own journey and like if finding out what other people are doing and you know kind of taking advice from other people is the way you want to go about your journey then by all means I hope that you can find those people right um and also like if you want to figure it out as you go or if you feel like you have to figure it out as you go um that's okay too so I'm always like hesitant to offer anything that seems like advice. So I'm not going to give that advice. Is advice. I'm gonna, Honor yeah. your own journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, for me, so for me, like the front and center piece of that is like, I am trying to embrace my body and my heart as it is in the moment. And because so much is changing all the time. I mean, so much changes throughout pregnancy and then so much changes postpartum. And I just want to to the best of my ability, embrace it because nothing lasts. It's all temporary. Um, and that includes like the joy of it and the pain of it and everything else. Um, impermanence. Yeah. And that, I mean, there's so many parallels between ultra running and parenthood. So I really enjoy (laughs) like entertaining myself with those. (laughs) So I think you said you were 15 months postpartum before Chuck and Nut 50K, yep. which you mm-hmm. destroyed again in March, just uh, I guess about a month ago now. Second victory, a great start to your season. Talk about maybe that race a little bit, your return to competition after giving birth and and maybe how it fit into the greater context of your season as we start to move towards the race you're going to be running this weekend. yeah well it was my so it was my first ultra postpartum but I did do a couple shorter races the previous fall but I think it's also worth noting I had actually been signed up for five races in 2021 
part of that was because there was like carryover from pandemic years. And I just said, sure, keep me on the start list. I don't know if I'll like, I don't know where I'll be at in my postpartum running. Um, But I only made it to the start line of one of those five races. And for a variety of reasons, but pretty much all of them related in some way to being postpartum, to being a mother. Um, And I say that just to like underscore the broader conversation that I know has been happening and continues, which is so awesome to hear just like talking about the very real barriers for women in general, and then particularly women who are parents, like in the sport and, and, and the barriers to get to races and be part of races. Um, so I was thrilled to make it to the start line of Chuck and Nut. Um, and I mean, I feel like I just, I ended up getting a little extra magic that day. Like it was such a competitive field. And I truly believe there were more than 15 women, women who on any given day could have won that race. And I just ended up being the one who won. Um, and I had so much fun out there. It, it really felt like a homecoming being back at the race. What That was my first ultra to begin with. And that was my first ultra postpartum. So that was like a really cool full circle. And then Chrissy Mail is the race director and I have so much admiration and respect for her. And she's doing a lot to um, implement the trail sisters race policies that are really trying to get at these equality issues. Um, And then because it's local, I had a lot of friends out there and just such great energy from the volunteers and the spectators. I mean, it was such a magical day. And I, I think something that surprised me actually was I didn't go into that race hoping or expecting to like find Gabe and Abby out there. Um, but pretty early on in the race when there was like an awesome group of gosh, like 10 plus of us women running together, I like felt Gabe and Abby's presence. And I, again, wasn't expecting that. And it, but it was such a beautiful gift for me to, and and I think what, especially what felt so great about it was like, I didn't go in looking for it and they were still there. Um, And that really like care that stayed with me the rest of the race. And especially because there's, you know, a long section in the back of the course where you don't see a lot of spectators and often like the competition's pretty strung out. So I was mostly by myself and I really just like felt them there with me, like having a great time laughing, just, you know, taking in the beauty, the sun came out. It was ended up being like a beautiful weather day, which was totally unexpected. Um, and yeah, I heard it was like schizophrenic weather where it was freezing cold rain at the beginning and then turned into just perfect. Well, yeah, it was, but only for like 15 minutes. And then it was a stunning, gorgeous PNW day after that, which was not the forecast. The forecast was really awful. Um, so, yeah, and I just like, it was like this celebration. I just felt like overcome by I'm alive and I'm here and it just kind of came to me organically in that race process. And I listened to it and it was magical. Yeah. So looking ahead towards canyons now in 
your most recent Instagram post, which was way back in November, by the way, (laughs) you got to put something up. (laughs) You describe a moment in your second trimester of pregnancy (laughs) when you're, in your words, waddling around or something like that, where you describe you beginning to dream about winning Western states. So I want you to take us into that moment. Give us a little <laughs> bit more color. Like what brought that thought into your mind and how have you been interfacing with that goal over the last two years? Yeah. Uh, thank you for reading that. That's very nice of you. Um, you're absolutely, yes. So it was like sometime in the second trimester, which I my, like running most of the days did not feel great to me during pregnancy. You know, everyone's different. And um, and every day is different. Every hour is different, Oof, especially in that second and third trimester. And so I was really taking my running like literally one step at a time. And I think I was in a, a stretch of days where running was super uncomfortable and I was mostly like walk jogging kind of thing. Um, and for whatever reason, I did start I did start dreaming about winning Western States and I didn't really question it. I just kind of went with it. And I was like, you know what? This is really uncomfortable. Running while pregnant is really uncomfortable. Today is really uncomfortable. Running Western States is really uncomfortable. This one uncomfortable step forward feels like a very useful step forward towards Western States. So let's roll with it. Like there seemed to be some very good overlap here. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I think it just helped. It gave me a little more purpose to the, the, the grind of wanting to move my body through pregnancy. And it wasn't even about like the, the result of winning Western States. I think it was just like, well, who says I am not capable of what winning Western States just because I'm currently in my second trimester of pregnancy, barely running and haven't run for several weeks. And I ended up not running most of my third trimester. Like just because of that period doesn't mean I don't have the potential to win Western States. And I think I also recognized that there's a lot of probably more subliminal messaging and some like very explicit messaging that says, oh, once you get pregnant or have a child, like you, you should really lower your expectations athletically. You know, those messages are out there and we absorb them as human beings moving through the world. And, and I think it was just my explicit defiance of those narratives that are just way too rampant and pervasive. I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I love this. I love this so much because it feels almost like a contrast. I just really admire how you're able to have that tenacity of pushing back against the narrative while simultaneously being somebody who does let things roll off their back, who doesn't put undue pressure on yourself, you know, because those two things could be seen as being mutually exclusive, setting the goal, Mm. I want to win Western States and also not putting a lot of pressure on yourself, (laughs) if you know what I mean. No, totally. And I think letting go of the illusion of control is more what it is, right? Like I, I want to stay open to 
what's possible if I just keep trying. And in my mind, that is anything and everything. What is possible? Winning Western States is possible if I just keep trying. And that doesn't mean that I like force it or try to set overly structured and rigid goal training goals for myself or anything like that. Like, I think I just keep showing up as I am and see what happens. And it's like a loose hold on the, the goal, right? It's like, okay, here's this thing. I can hold it in open palms and I can admire it and it can be fuel when I need it. And also like, I can let it go when it's not serving me and when I don't need it or when it doesn't feel true to my heart. Um, so, so of course, in order to win Western States, you have to get in. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, that brings us to canyons this weekend. Obviously the field is incredibly deep. One of the most competitive fields that I've seen in a North American ultra race outside of Western States in recent memory. Yes. Talk about, uh, how you're feeling about the race competitively and in terms of your own fitness, how's training going and, uh, yeah, maybe what are you looking forward to about the competition this weekend? I am so excited about how competitive the both fields, but especially the women's field. Um, I'm just really excited to be on the same trails at the same time as so many of these women that I admire and enjoy spending time with. And I'd love to give a shout out to Jasmine. So she's, she ran Chuckanut. She's from Canada. Um, she's such an amazing person and runner. And I'm just like, so excited to see what she can do at canyons. Cause I think she's going to surprise a lot of people okay. who haven't writing, heard of her writing yet. Your name down. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and I want to make sure to, you know, shout out like, so Brittany Peterson's going to be there, Kat Bradley, Anna Mae Flynn, um, Abby Levine, there's a Minnesota woman, Abigail Forsman, who I think people should keep their eye on. Um, Leah Yingling. And uh, I know I'm going to forget people. It's okay. Uh, you don't, you don't need to take through all of them. No, I, but I want to, because I, know I you just want to elevate like how exciting this is to yeah. have all of these people in the same place at the same time. Sure. And like, that's where the magic happens. And I'm just like thrilled that I get to be a part of the magic. Yeah. Well, you guys are going to put on a show. I wish I could be there in person this weekend. But I have to say, Ladia, this has been an absolute joy to sit down and talk. And I mean, we talk a little bit about running, but really that was deep and profound. And, you know, those are the types of conversations that I really like to have on the podcast that loosely talk about running, but use the sport to go deeper and to talk about the important things in life. And, uh, I thought you did a great job of, uh, enlightening us. So good luck to you this weekend. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope you guys have great weather. I hope it's not too hot for you. I haven't looked at the weather forecast, but (laughs) I haven't either. I, it'll be great. Yeah. Whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, good luck Thank again you, this Dylan. weekend. Thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, hopefully we'll see you at Western States in a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. 
What a human being. Hope you found that as powerful and as enjoyable as I did. Thank you so much to Ladia for coming on the show. Really, wow, great conversation. Go give her a follow on Instagram at the link in the show notes. Wish her good luck ahead of the race this weekend. As always, a big thank you to our sponsors. Speedland, visit runspeedland.com. Follow them on Instagram at runspeedland. Incredible new footwear coming down the pipeline, including the SLHSV, which is in pre-sale right now. Going to be shipping very soon. Gnarly Nutrition, best nutrition products on the market. GoGnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 to get everything you can possibly need on the nutrition front to make you the best trail runner you can possibly be. Finally, Inside Tracker. What an incredible service these guys provide. Please go visit InsideTracker.com forward slash free trail. That'll get you 20% off an Inside Tracker blood test. Finally, for our listeners in Colorado and Oregon, I will be emceeing a live screening of the Journey to 100 film. This is a film that is produced by Athletic Brewing that documents Jason Hardrath's Washington Bulgers FKT. Truly an incredible film, incredible stuff from the FKT king himself, Mr. Jason Hardrath. The Colorado showing is going to be in Golden, Colorado this coming weekend, Saturday, April 23rd. And then Portland, Oregon, Saturday, April 30th. That's next weekend. Both of these screenings uh, are gonna be followed by live podcast slash Q and A's with myself afterwards. I think we're gonna take that audio and put it in the pod feed here. But if you are in those markets, please do come see us live. You'll find links to both shows in the show notes where you can find more information. Okay, that's it for this one. Love you all very much. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.